Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and boy, have we got a fun show for you here today. Uh, along with me, uh, we also have my good buddy, Tim Elliott. Hello. We also have with us our regular interns, David Thompson. Guten Tag. John Hyatt. Good morning. <laughs> and Hello. Kirk Greenfield. Good morning, guys. How's it all going? Everybody all having fun? Oh, yeah. Uh, of course. It's 20, all... 2020, best year ever. And yeah. David, in the immortal words of Pinky, what are we doing today, Brian? <laughs> well, you know, we, we reached deep into the archives, took stock, and realized that we haven't covered a lot of uh, Burns' work in the Star Trek universe. And so we thought it would be fun to do a, a two-part uh, program part one today uh, and then uh, a week from now we'll do part two where we're going to cover Star Trek and we're going to cover the book Frontier Doctor and Leonard McCoy and there's uh, four issues in it so we'll do two today and we'll do two next week and we're going to see Leonard McCoy's adventures uh, that take place before the Star Trek the motion picture I'm excited a lot of fun. Now, Tim and I have done a little bit of coverage on this before, uh, but I, we just did one issue, right? Is that we right? just covered? The, yeah, we just covered the, the first one. And so, I, if, you, if you're a long-time listener, this is a little bit of a rehash. But I think we get some different perspectives and, and different thoughts. Uh, you know, as, as I've been sitting there looking back on our library of shows over the last several years. I, I've noticed that uh, you know, I, I feel like you know, especially with this crew, that we've got we probably want to revisit some of the uh, older uh, things that we did. And I think Tim and I both have new perspectives on this, having been doing this show for the last five years, um, learning more and more about Burn himself and you know his process and everything. I think going back over some of the older stuff, uh, you know, the bigger stuff. Um, probably wouldn't be a bad thing. And before I forget, I really need this. <laughs> and, That's what was missing. Oh, no, I need this. <laughs> anyway, uh, and I'll say this before uh, we get into this. As, as I was getting ready for this show, um, you know, I went back and, and reread the series, but I was checking to see if I had a digital copy of it. And this one is, of course, it was you know printed originally as a four issue miniseries. And I believe there's a trade paperback available of it as well. And then it was also reprinted in that uh, nice John Byrne Star Trek omnibus. Now there's two versions of that omnibus: a large one mm -hmm. and then a, a smaller one. I've got the smaller one, still hardback and really really nice, well done. And of course that's got the four issues in there. But I was looking to see if I had a digital copy and. While I was going through that, I ran across another series, uh, and it's not Burn at all. It's uh, actually Tipton that did it, but it was the the story about Khan uh, called Ruling in Hell. And I'll tell you, I got sucked into it, and I I just had to read the whole four issue miniseries right then and there. And I think part of it was just because I knew the story as Khan had related. In those few minutes in the Wrath of Khan, when he talked about you know the explosion of the of the the, the other planet, City Alpha Six, and the shifting of the orbit, and then uh, the SETI eels, and what happened to Marla, 
but who the the guy that wrote this story actually took some interesting liberties. Well, I, I, not necessarily liberties because he didn't change anything. But when you read the background of it, it actually is pretty interesting. And seeing you know how Khan, uh, you know, adjusted to life on the new planet. Uh, again, it was a, a very uh, interesting miniseries writ- written by Scott and David Tipton, art by Fabio Manovani. Uh, like I said, it was it's uh, pretty interesting if you're interested in in Khan and uh, what happened in that period. Um, definitely worth a read. And as far as the art goes, really, really good. And uh, this person apparently had a lot of affection for Marla MacGyver's. Very, uh, very uh, appealing artwork on that. If you have any interest there. This is Cynthia the Alpha Five. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's just so many lines from that movie that just always jump out immediately in my brain. You know, like the the Admiral, right? Admiral, Admiral. Yeah, yeah he's, he's so angry about it. <laughs> he's found this barren crap hole. Kirk's you know, out there getting promoted. And it, it's funny. Khan was actually the very first Star Trek image that I had ever seen John Byrne draw, going back to the who's who of DC Comics when they did their Star Trek edition. And um, now I had no, back then in my 20s, as I was reading it, I was sitting there looking at this and going, my God, he's captured Khan so perfectly in this one image, not realizing it was photo-referenced, you know. And, uh, you know, just thought, you know, he'd freehanded it, but it's more like he traced from an image on the light box. But still, well, he talks about that. Well, in this first issue, where he says Shatner is traced from photo referencing, but uh, he says McCoy. He had to come up with a version of McCoy that looked like D. Kelly, but he didn't. He wouldn't have to constantly reference a photo, so he had to kind of come up with his own McCoy, which I thought he did very successfully. Um, he did though. Sometimes, sometimes I kept thinking, and I don't know why, but I kept thinking Popeye. And it had something to do with the structure of the eyes and the eyebrows and everything. It's not necessarily Popeye himself, but uh, the other character with those curved eyebrows. Just really... Um, he slips He slips occasionally. Yeah. And it doesn't look like... But sometimes it looks very much on, on point, so... Yeah, and, and it, if I remember right, uh, and, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, like the cover of the first of the first book's got some Niven aliens in it, doesn't it? The first one doesn't. He does, because each of these had... Typical fashion, you know, they had multiple covers, and yep. uh, the one that I, I think the one I own, I think when I bought this as a, as, as a, you know, off the stand, I think I have the one where he's got his back to kind of to the viewer, and he's got all these aliens in front of him, some, some recognizable, some not, and he's like, who's next, you know? That's but, the main cover, right? Yeah, that's the one I'm then, talking about. Yeah. Then each one of them also had an alternate cover where it's. It's a circle, and it's got McCoy talking to an alien, and it's, it, they're all kind of doctor jokes. Yeah. yeah. And this one, it's, he says, take two, how do you pronounce that? Quiz, <laughs> Something. Quiz, call, whatever, quiz, la, 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 and call me tomorrow. <laughs> now, in those, he do, in those, I think it's the second issue, one of them has um, a puppeteer, which is from Larry Niven's Ringworld series, I believe. He And that apparently he, he sneaks that in a lot of times when he's drawing aliens. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So, um, as, as far as I know, this one came out in, what, 2010? 
2010. I got uh, published April. April 2010. Yeah. Now, was this put out before or after all the Romulan crown stuff, the schism and whatnot? I think it was after. after. Yeah, uh, Romulans, well, you've got Assignment Earth in 2008, and then you've got Star Trek Alien Spotlight Romulans 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. That was 2008. Um, then Frontier Doctor was 2010. Schism was 2009 as well. I thought this was kind of the last thing he did before he started doing the photo novels, wasn't it? Yeah, it kind of, it is because if you go to the uh, the annual when he did his first uh, photo novel, yeah, that was 2013. So he, I think he took kind of a break, which you know, uh, well deserved, right? I mean, he had back to back to back to back uh, miniseries. And then he did Strange New Worlds, which was the uh, 2013 Star Trek annual for his, uh, you know, introducing everybody to his, his photo novel. Well, he, he might have been off teaching himself Photoshop because he had that. There, there's a learning curve to that. And he, well, I don't know. He may have been prolific already, but yeah. Uh, and looking, looking at the, at my omnibus, you know, the the McCoy Frontier Doctor series is the last thing in there, and it's all chronological. Uh, in order of uh, events, and it, it's funny because as you read through, it, you know, number one is like the yardstick. You know, the character number one from uh, the Menagerie, the Cage, mm-hmm. uh, because you know he comes across her in one of the issues, and she is white-haired, and of course you see her from Crew, mm-hmm. where she is just a cadet and full black hair, and then as you see her later in the Romulan story, she's got the white skunk streak, and so uh, interesting. Interesting, but yeah. So this was the last series he did before he started doing the photo novels, which is a shame because I like to see him return. Uh, he obviously enjoys it, and I would love to see him do some more drawn stuff instead of going back to the photo. I mean, I love the photo novels right. too. But he had talked about doing a twelve issue maxi series where he would um, cover uh, events on different Constitution class starships. Unfortunately, as you know, he started going through this. He started realizing and looking through the uh, the documentation of what he had for those days, based on his canon, his head canon. There was only a few star, uh, Constitution class vessels that were actually still around, and to my knowledge, the only ones I can think of that actually survived was the Enterprise in New Yorktown. Didn't pretty much all the others get blown up? And then well, it was New Yorktown was... that eventually got refit into the Enterprise A. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. All right. Well, you know, you know, the Star Trek universe is rich. It's a rich tapestry of stories. So, you know, he could sl- slot something anywhere. You know, in in kind of the, the timeline, like he did with you know Frontier Doctor here. You know, all these adventures McCoy's having taking place before they all get back together again. Well, if he was going to do the other ships, he could have done them all during the initial five-year run so that they all existed. He doesn't have to do them. Do them at the time of TOS. Don't do them. Yeah, but you're uh, talking about about Byrne, who, as far as Star Trek goes, he's definitely got uh, OCD. I mean, he says that he has Star Trek OCD. And so (laughs) if he was going to sit there and do something like that, he's got to pick and choose where he's going to place that. And I think that's what, what limited him or... Uh, you know, put him in a position where he was like, I can't do it here, I can't do it here, I can't do it here, 
and eventually he just did what he came up with, you know, what we saw in the whole that whole Romulan Crown storyline, which is still my favorite out of um, all the the drawn stuff. Um, well, he could. I mean, he could do some stuff like think of take uh, what happened to the uh, to Decker and the, the Constitution. Tell that story oh, so that it ends with Kirk. Constellation. Yep. Um, with it ends with Kirk showing up. You know, and that that probably couldn't be a four issue series unless you really dragged it up. But it could be a, a single issue that'd be a nut or a two uh, stuff like that. You know, kind of tell the. Um, you know, fill in kind of fill in the gaps. You know, tell the stuff between the panels, kind of thing. You, you know, well, I, I, I enjoyed this series, and I know we'll get into it here in a minute. But this, to me, was classic. You know, storytelling. There, all four issues are all one and done, right? Mm-hmm. So everything gets introduced, right, in the first couple pages. What what they're doing there, you know, what they're there to investigate. I should say where they are, what they're doing there, and then by the end, right, the mystery's unraveled and they're leaving. So it it feels very Star Trekky and very much in that vein of uh, I think we've brought it up before, but you know, episodic every comic it's episodic. It's very yeah, episodic, it's episodic, yeah. but every com- every comic book is somebody's first. This is one that you could have completely missed the first issue and picked up the second one and been totally fine. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could you could do a whole... I mean, I think Decker... I don't know why I keep going back to this, but Decker is, I think, a strong enough character. You could do a four-issue series on him, and maybe it, at the end of it, they detect the planet killer. So you don't, you don't show that story, but you just have four adventures with Decker and his crew, and then at the end, he's like, hey, we picked up a signal, this thing is destroying a planet. And then you know what happens after that. So... That's very similar to this. You could do he could do lots of stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you want to get into it? I've got issue one, so do it. Do, do it. it. Do, do it. it. Come on, All right. kill me! I'm here. <laughs> Rum and coke. Do it. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> I tried bourbon and Dr Pepper on Thursday, and it wasn't very good. <laughs> No, I told you it's whiskey and Dr Pepper. Uh, well, I, I, my wife had bought me a couple years ago. She bought me uh, an infuser for liquor. It's like you can infuse it with with mm. uh, fruits and things like that. So then, well, you know, I'll try Why that. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I'd try it, so I, I, I tried to infuse it with some. You know, I did some mango and I did some orange and lemon and ginger because I love ginger. Uh, and that came out reasonably successful. So I bought some bourbon because it supposedly it's something that works well because I've got mostly just Irish whiskey in the house. Uh, so And I had some Diet Dr. Pepper, so I thought, I'll try this. It wasn't very good. Oh. <laughs> that's, Kirk, that's Kirk ringing. He wants another round. <laughs> All right. All right. We will honor the cowbell. All right, I'm covering issue one. Uh, as David said, this is Star Trek, Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor, four-issue series. Uh, issue one, uh, our publisher is IDW. This was published in April 2010. Our writer and artist is John Byrne. Our colorist is Laverne Kenzerski. Our letter is Neil Ayatek. Is that pronounced right? Ayatek. Our, Ayatek. our editor is uh, his longtime editor at IDW is Chris Royale. 
we had 22 pages of story. Uh, and as we mentioned, this had three different covers. Uh, they did do a special cover was created for the Diamond Retailer Summit at 2010 Chicago Comic Entertainment, the C2E2, which I think the, all, all the lettering was uh, gold embossed. Uh, and the same year, the uh, same year, same month this came out, Byrne uh, was writer on Iron Man Armor Wars 2, uh, and John Romita Jr. was the artist. That was a trade paperback, only, though, wasn't it? That was just a reprint? Was it? Yeah, that was I, yeah, I, I Armor Wars it, 2. That, that's the stuff that he did back in the late 80s or early 90s. I mean, you know, basically, that, there was that. There was the official handbook of the Marvel Universe that was a reprint. Uh, yeah, that's that's always I, I you don't cover that stuff because that's like that's always out there. It's like there's yeah. always you can always find a ton of X Men stuff because something's been reprinted. Drew. Right, but this the, the, this was the only thing that he worked on that he put out you know that month. I mean, obviously they did multiple covers. Right, and he did all the multiple. He did all the alternate covers. We'll yeah. say that. Yep. All right, this first uh, issue is uh, the story is entitled Weeds, and it goes a little something like this. Our story opens in a high-rise office in what we assume is San Francisco because we see Admiral Kirk sitting at his desk studying a holographic image of the refitted USS Enterprise 1701. Based on what we can assume, this story takes place sometime before Star Trek the motion picture. A young lieutenant enters his office and hands him an envelope from a special courier. She tells him scans indicate it is a handwritten document. Kirk smiles. He knows the only person who would send him a handwritten letter is former Starfleet doctor Leonard McCoy. He pours a glass of sorry and brandy and settles in to read to read his old friend's letter. Dr. McCoy, after leaving Starfleet, is signed up with the Federation Frontier Medical Program. He is partnered with a young doctor named John Duncan, and their first adventure of note is a visit to an Andorian colony on Omicron Tessus IV. Having saved the Prime Minister's pregnant wife, McCoy and Duncan board their vintage starship, Joanna, named after McCoy's daughter. Cranky as ever... Uh, McCoy argues argues with a ship overbearing uh, ship's overbearing computer as they go to work. They are buffeted as the ship becomes unstable. Duncan notes the ship must be carrying too much weight and suspects they have a stowaway. He scans for the intruder and gets a kick in the face for his trouble. A young blue-skinned Dorian girl leaps from her hiding spot. She immediately goes on the offensive, threatening McCoy and, and threatening McCoy and Duncan with a knife. She is Thela of the house Perlan. And she will show, and they will show her respect. Knife at his throat. McCoy wants to know what the hell, she, what who the hell she is. Duncan jabs her in the leg with a hypo spray, and, and it's good night for our blue hue princess. McCoy, wanting no more complications in his life, asks the computer for determine their position so they can return Thela to her people. The computer refuses because it has picked up a distress signal from nearby. Of of, uh, I don't think I pronounced this right. The first time I this. Ophicus, 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 Ophicus And Federation law requires they respond. They orbit an architect, an architectural, an agricultural colon, Earth colony settled 59 years ago on the outer rim of the Federation. As they land, they notice the entire planet is covered in thick vegetation, except for the border of the colony where the plant life is dead. They land and are greeted by Colony Supervisor Lars Vandernet. McCoy asks Vandernet if his people can take Thela off his hands until an Andorian ship can retrieve her. Uh, the administrator agrees and takes the, and takes the doctor over to their hospital. He explains that several of their workers around the fence are suffering from fungus, a fungus-like infection. Fence, McCoy asks. 
The internet shows the doctor the fence, a towering techno wall on wheels that surrounds the colony. And the colony needs to expand. They simply drive the, the support post forward, expanding diameter of the colony like a balloon filled with air. The fence sprays defoliant foam as it expands. McCoy asks how the Federation allows the use of this defoliant, but out here on the rim, you got to do what you got to do. There's no animal life on a planet for the defoliant to harm, he tells the doctor. McCoy, wanting to see where the workers first contact contracted the infection, takes a skimmer along with one of the French supervisors, and they fly along the fence for closer inspection. McCoy, ski, McCoy sees what he what looks like birds, but Fendernet explains they are seed pods. The only life on the planet is vegetation. And in the next panel, we see some of the vegetation up close. Giant shambling mounds are attacking the base of the wall. Fendernet says they are the walking roots of the Jampala trees. They are not normally hostile. And angry McCoy wants to save the unprotected workers trying to drive back the roots with spray defoliant. Uh, a squad of skimmers armed with phasers arrive and blast the roots. Duncan notices the plants around the roots are reacting to the phaser fire as if they feel the pain of the roots. We cut to the local brig where Thela is cooling her heels behind bars. She is complaining to her jailer she does not want to go home when the Endorian colony ship arrives. She's about to offer her male captor something the comics code would never allow for her freedom when she feels faint, when he feels faint, and then does. She reaches for the keys as we cut back to Dr. McCoy. McCoy and the others uh, overload the skimmers, rescuing the workers on the ground. McCoy asks if the walking roots could be intelligent, but Vandernet assumes him they are not. The roots break through the fence and slowly make their way into the colony, then suddenly stop. Call Kevin that the infection has spread to all 15,000 colonists. People are dropping left and right. McCoy has a theory about the, the, infe- the infection, and when he discovers that, the only hu- that only humans are affected, not the colony livestock, he begins to explain when Duncan falls ill, rushing him to the more advanced med bay full of burn tech aboard their own ship. Knowing he will succumb to the infection soon, McCoy races to find a cure. A few tests and some technobabble later, McCoy determines the plant vegetation is a single life form. This will give him the edge he needs to save the day, but before he can tell us, Fendernet collapses. The infection is mutating and humans are being affected at a faster rate, including a good doctor who now who now has a growth on his hand. Uh, remarking how fast the infection is mutated, a gun-wielding Thela demands transportation off the planet. McCoy has no time for foolishness. Slapping the gun from her hand, he convinces, screams at her to help him find a cure. <laughs> Reluctant at first, she acts as McCoy's hands, running tests, checking computers, finding answers. By the end, she eventually begins to enjoy helping the doctor. Eureka, they found a cure. She sprays Duncan with an antidote, and the fungus begins to fall away. Soon the two recovered doctors are crop dusting colony with their ship now, uh, their ship now play the happy ending music. The grateful Vandernet praises McCoy for all his help and even commissions a commemorative medal in his name. But McCoy tells him not to break out the space champagne because he had to report to the situation to the Federation. The feds will not, 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 the feds will not like the way the colony has been treating the plant, plant-wide organism. Epilogue. The Andorian ship has arrived, but our good doctor is not happy. The Andorians tell him Athela is a member of a very powerful house, and McCoy is politely asked to let her stay with him and Duncan. He's a doctor now, not a babysitter, damn it. He doesn't want a spoiled brat cluttering up his ship, but a sincere Thela asks to stay. She is tired of the luxury, her name entitles her, and she wants the chance to have some adventure. (laughs) 
The doctor grudgingly accepts her and walks away knowing he might regret it later. Bet you forgot this was a letter being read by Admiral Kirk, didn't you? Kirk sets the letter on his desk, puts away the brandy, and says goodnight to the lieutenant knowing his friend just might start to enjoy himself if he's not careful. The end. Well done. Very good. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, I forgot, I forgot how long-winded I was when I was writing these early, <laughs> early synopsis. Man, that was long. Yeah. Nice summary. Very well done. Thank you. And this is a this was a fun story, and there was a lot of little interesting things put in there. Now, let me ask you guys: when you saw that the those giant shambling mounds on the fence, did they remind you of anything? Snuffleupagus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything? Name burn, her. Uh, burn, burn name her five or six. Um, there was something about uh, pollution and and. Uh, oh, Krakoa. No. Oh, you're right. That's a good one, but. I was thinking in the Namer series uh, when he did his take about pollution. Uh, um, there was a shambling um, pollution monster who may have been the uh, the female scientist's son. So I was anyway, thinking, I was that's thinking what more, more of Tundra from Alpha Flight Number oh, One. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 Good, yeah, good example. But uh, I mean, that's that's so, what uh, came to mind as I was reading that. One of the. <laughs> So we, we talk about uh, the new character, Thela, who I think is kind of fun. Um, they always introduce her with who she is. So she, it always reminds me in my head when it's like Thela of the House of the Lawn. I'm thinking Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking more like, uh, you know, uh, what's her name? Loxana Troy. Loxana. You know, from, yeah. yeah, from the fifth house of Beta Z. <laughs> Holder of the sacred chalice of reeks, heir to the the, the holy rings of betas, you know. Well, if that's the case, we can go with we go with uh, Worf, son of Moog, you know. <laughs> yeah. Son of whatever his grandfather's name was. Well, wasn't it Colonel Worf <laughs> from Star Trek Six? No, that was his. Worf? I think that was okay. his uncle, or I don't think that was actually. I don't think I was supposed to be his his direct relative, was it? I, I thought so, just because you know he. Uh, was played by Michael Dorn and had the same voice. Could be, all, you know. Could be. I gotta say, I do like this this ship that McCoy flies around in. Yeah, it's perfect though, for though him. the 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 fact that they have to still use chemical rockets to take off seems really inefficient. You think? Okay. That anyone? Would I'm have glad you that brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So I I don't know about the rest of our group here, but I I just binged all four issues. I think on Thursday. And just blaze through the the miniseries. This one, to me, one I think is the, maybe the second weakest out of the four issues. The story, because there's so many things that just don't seem very Star Trekky, like the the chemical rockets that you brought up is one of them. The other one being they just don't care about spraying this foam everywhere. Like, ah, eh. nope. <laughs> Who cares? Well, well they, no, they, you know, there's no animals here. You t- so you telling me there's no scientists that are part of that colony that'd be like, wait, let let me study this 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 plant and well, they out what's the, 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 they do bring it up because McCoy says, you know, what does the Federation feel how you do this? And the guy's like, well, you know, we're out here in the outskirts, and you know, the, the, it's the rules a little more lax. You know, it's kind of like they don't know what we're doing. We're going to do whatever we need to do. But I would think if all this defoliant would because if they're spraying the defoliant and then they're expanding the the, the walls, right. then they're going to plant again. They would have to somehow treat right. it again because they're killing the ground. <laughs> right. Yeah, basically. 
that's that's the, that's what jumped out to me. I'm like, okay, so this is like the space version of uh, Roundup, right? <laughs> yeah. Like grass yeah, killer. Agent you know? Orange isn't that a wasn't that a defoant they used in Vietnam? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So if, if you're if they're spraying this all over the ground, that that dirt's dead to them. You know, like it's, that's not going to be any good. You just killed everything in the ground. You can't go ahead and start planting again. Well, I think part of the um, the I, and again, Byrne does never mention this, so it's probably not. But the one thing that sticks out in my mind is the fact that the entire planet is covered in this plant life, right? And the main product of any plant life is oxygen. So everybody's got to be high as hell in oxygen. Because <laughs> when you just when you're just you know breathing pure oxygen, you get high. You get eh, I don't care. <laughs> mm. But you know that's just a uh, you know my well, observation. I, I also thought it was. I mean, and I, I didn't read all four issues. I, I think I did, but it's been so long since I read them. I don't remember them. Uh, I read this, these two, but they both have, and I don't know if this carries on to the other two, the three and four, but uh, they have kind of kind of twist endings, or it's it's here's our problem, we're dealing with the problem, then oh mm-hmm. here's a twist, here's a and and the wrap up seems to be awfully quick, and this the wrap up is pretty quick. He finally right. solves the problem, and suddenly it's like oh wow, we're just I mean, we're gonna we're gonna spray the colony and get rid of this fungus. Uh, but it, he does say it's a temporary. You know, this is just yeah. temporary. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I, and, and and that's one of the other issues I had in this one is so, so the best way to de- deploy the solution was to just <laughs> crop dust the entire <laughs> town yes. so that they they just bring everybody out in the street. Like, all right, everybody, get out in the street. Uh, come on, get sprayed. Yeah. Get sprayed. Well, <clears throat> what's funny? It doesn't seem to be Bird is is making a statement on. Uh, an environmental statement. At least I didn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like he's preaching yeah. or that he's he's saying, you know, this is... And it does feel a little unfederation-like, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is maybe part of the, you know, the dark, darker par- corners of the federation that we don't, you know, the Section 13 kind of parts that we don't know are, uh, you know, it's, everything's not a utopia, but uh, if this whole planet is one one, as I said, the story. I think if this whole planet is an organism, they're going to kick these people off because they're like, yeah. you're 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 interfering right all right away. You know, the the prime directive's not going to let you stay. The other problem is if this if this is one single organism, don't you think it would grow under the ground, under the fence, and come up inside the colony, unless that I mean, fence somehow extends under the ground? Which it doesn't because it's on like wheels. Wheels, yeah, yeah. Hmm. No, nope, it's going to atta- attack with snuffleupaguses. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at the timeline here, I think maybe Byrne had seen the movie The Happening with Mark Wahlberg and just decided he found a better way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that is true. It's... Don't piss off the trees. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw it was a relationship to Alien as well in the colony. You know, the colony had existed for, what, 53 years, 57 years, whatever they say. And, uh, you know, and and the, the monsters are going to come and reclaim it. They're going to wipe out the colony. I saw the parallel to that, to aliens. That's interesting. I didn't think of that. Well, it, it, and I would think, too, that, they would, that the plants would have taken uh, action quicker. If they've been here for 50, almost 60 years, mm-hmm. why are they just now... Come, or did it take them that long to to 
to engineer this disease that's gonna that's gonna attack the uh, just the humans. So, well, it's expanding. the uh, The colony is basically an infection on the planet, and so once it starts to spread, you see the parallel. Once it spreads and it's spreading outward on wheels. Yeah, yeah. The colony is the infection, and the the the, the trees are, are basically anti- they're the antibodies. Right. Um. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Like, I don't know why the planet wouldn't have just sent in a bunch of those, you know, like plant murder pods, and just <laughs> done them in. Which, by the way, something nobody in this colony because it's didn't, didn't it say it's like fifteen thousand people or something like that. Yeah. You know, right. nobody puts together like. There are flying plant pods. Do you think maybe? Do you think they're maybe a lot like alive? Like this whole thing is all connected? Isn't it well, weird that there's no animals, but we've got is, flying plant pods? This is sort of like the Horta episode of the original series, where the miners don't care about anything. It's just right, right. Let's That's go get that ore and, and all this can't be alive. That's a very good parallel. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Kurt. I never made that connection. That it's exactly because I, to me, this felt more like a next gen plot instead of a TOS plot, and maybe it has to do with the the scope of it. You could do this more easily in next gen than with um, than with um, than with TOS because in that you would have Kirk probably making a speech about you, know, you guys are, are ruining the environment. You can't do that. You know, uh, and play or and. Picard would nope. be bigger. But, wouldn't it be more like you're ruining the environment? No, it would be you you're, can't ki- you're, kill that. you're killing the planet. Picard would make the plants would rip his shirt off. Well, he would talk the plants down. He would, uh, but but I thought it wrapped up, and I, I thought this was. Uh, between these two, I think I enjoyed this a little more than the second one we're going to cover. And I'll explain when we get to it. But, um, <laughs> How could you possibly? <laughs> um, I have I have more questions on that one. Yeah. Um, this is a, kind of a simple little, you know, it's it's McCoy shows up. There's a mystery. Uh, I got to solve it, and then in the last two pages, he suddenly solves it. And so. there's also the introduction of all the characters. I mean, you know, yeah. in, introducing this us to Duncan to and, and Fila. There's a lot of world building here. Yes, yeah. there is a lot of that. Yeah, I mean the, the 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 two pages where we get the we really get a lot of Duncan and Thela are of course uh, some visually dynamic pages because it's when they go to warp and they realize that they've got a weight imbalance, and the, the very first image on that page is really really cool. I mean the rest of it looks good, but and and then of course you see a lot of Duncan who reminds me a little bit of La Roquette from the Hulk series, but uh, not not necessarily a, a duplicate. It's not burn just using the same model it's just you know he happens to be a black man yeah with similar features but it's not like uh he's using the same stock character or anything it just reminds me a little of, of like a young richard daystrom if he was going to do a story about him yeah i could see that and then thela which of course is an all original character um uh you know of course he's got her there for a little bit of cheesecake and she's wearing some kind of um, Irene Cara going not or not not Irene Cara but the, the what's her name from Flashdance kind of outfit all off the shoulders. <laughs> it's very. I, I liked her, and I, I do like the fact that towards the end you see because by the time we saw Next Gen or no um, motion picture or 
first time we saw new Andorians, they had they had it where the antenna came out the front, which is what they went with later with with Shran. Yeah, but so uh, they've got both uh, versions in here. Yeah, they're both versions in here, and it looks like you know the higher caste, which in this case is her father. Uh, you know, is the one with that. Where all the others, even the mother, has has the antenna at the back. Yeah. Well, but and what they've done with her because you noticed and I think it says in the if anybody's got the Starfleet medical reference I don't think Indarians are supposed to have ears because the antenna and you see her ears are covered well obviously these other guys have ears mm-hmm. and Shran had ears because uh, they had they, even he was different than this his antennas were more coming out of the, the forehead but um, so I'm how did you if that guy from uh, Journey to Babel had uh, of course he was not really Andorian was he no, but I don't think they, I think they had that they had white uh, their their wigs they were wearing covered I think covered their ears. Um, and I'm wondering if because I think um, about it, if you had the antennas, why would you also need ears? I'm wondering if that Dick Sargent looking guy uh, from that one. No, yeah, you're right. It covered his ears completely. Yeah. How did you guys? Uh, well, let me ask this question: Who who read this for the first time for the show? I did. Me. Uh, me. John. Did how did you feel that he captured McCoy's voice? Pretty well. I, I have, uh, it, it's not so much his face, but it's the occasional expression saying, "I'm not a babysitter," and uh, I, I liked it. I mean, it it wasn't overbearing, but I I got it. Yeah, I thought he did a pretty good job. I thought it was a little, just a maybe five percent over the top, just a little too much McCoy, uh, based on kind of what we know of McCoy but for the most part I think he did a pretty good job of getting the character's voice so it seemed like you know when I was reading his lines I was mm-hmm. hearing D. Kelly so yeah, yeah. I agree with that I thought it was pretty nice I, I, thought, I thought it was interesting because Bones has never really been one of my favorite characters um, but here I kind of thought it was cool to to see him taken away from the rest of the the, the crew and just uh, given a new group of people to interact with and I actually um, enjoyed reading the stories so far I'm not all the way through it I didn't binge it like Kirk did I tried but um, I just got through the two that we needed and halfway through the next one and Quitter. Uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't binged it I've only read these first two somebody else said they binged it yeah oh, that'd be me Dave burned through yeah oh okay Mm-hmm. What did you think of uh, Bones grabbing the antenna of uh, what's her name at the end? That was I mean, cute. it makes a little bit more sense if that's her ear that yeah. he's leading her by the ear. But I, I, you know, it, how do you know what that thing is? How do you know she's going to react that way? I mean, you could have <laughs> violated her. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I just every time gutsy. I, think of that, I, I like think it, but it's like whoa. Uh, South Park, yeah, sucking. Actually, it, it made me flash back to that issue of Friends where Phoebe grabbed both Monica and Rachel by the ears. And, ow, 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 exactly. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> ow, 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 ow. <laughs> well, with Thayla, it's kind of a little bit of the Tammy the Shrew. You know, she's this yeah. overbearing, uh, hostile, aggressive person who lay, who slowly, like she says, she slowly kind of starts to enjoy yourself because she's I guess she's been kind of a I don't want to say she's a spoiled brat but she comes from a well-to-do family and she's kind of tired of just lying around and you know having someone pick grapes and feed them to her but uh, she wants you know she wants to get out there and have a little adventure so 
uh, she kind of softens up. I thought the as it's carried over more into the second issue, the, the I thought the romance between her and Duncan progressed a little quick, but. But you don't know Possibly. how much time really don't went know how between. Much... Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. It could be months or weeks or uh, you know we don't know. But I'm just I, I just kept trying to think what would a kid between those two look like? Would it have <laughs> tiny little antenna? Would it be more like, more like Spock and more, the Andorian be more dominant? Um, interesting. Hey, so um, on, on the ship. Maybe you guys discussed this the first time you looked at the book. So it's CRN 1841, and then it has written on the side, Joanna. Do you know what that's a reference to? That's his daughter. Yeah. Oh, that's his daughter. Okay. Yeah. The 1841, I think it probably means something, but I don't know what that... That. Well, they were going to write in, if, you, if you're familiar with Wade Eden, the hippie, hippie episode. Uh, you know, if you, if you reach, you know... And you understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, the girl that falls in, or was was an old room, uh, flame of uh, Chekhov. That was supposed to be McCoy, originally. That was going to be McCoy's daughter. Mm. Oh, but yeah, that never it never came about. So, uh, I think did Fontana write that? Was that DC Fontana? Uh, uh, she was the one I think that was kind of fleshing out McCoy. Um, she wrote the the other one. The world is hollow, and I touch the sky. That yeah. was a very McCoy-centric episode. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I thought the... Uh, um, well, and I'm going to come back to what Dave said about... What you said, Brian, about the chemical rockets. Uh, you would think that's basically thrusters, because, you know, usually starships, unless, you know, you're J.J. Abrams, starships don't land. Um Except the Voyager. Voyager was a, was a, a starship, which was a smaller ship that was designed to could actually land on a it could go planet side. And I'm assuming that it used. It, obviously, you're not using any kind of a warp field when you're landing. You're going to use either anti gravity or using some kind of a thruster to uh, well, to land. I mean, think of the shuttlecraft. You know, the shuttlecraft had you know warp engines on them, obviously, but they used something to to provide propulsion from the ground. So that they could, you know, break the bonds of gravity to get to space, and obviously they're not using the the thrusters to make the insane speed that we need to defeat, you know, gravity. Yeah, and, and obviously they have the anti gravity, so I don't know what, how they never explained, and I never thought the original series shuttles had warp. They it looks like nacelles, but I'm not sure. I never thought those were warp nacelles. No, uh, I don't think they were in the original series. No, it wasn't until next gen later. Yeah, they were just meant to be little. You know, skippers. You know, like just yeah, runabouts. Yeah. Because they use uh, is it deuterium, or am I thinking lost in space? Deuterium, deuterium isn't it? Deuterium. deuterium. Deuterium is what they use it for. Uh, it's not the the not the impulse engines because I think those are fusion. Um, but it's, they, they use deuterium, uh, or is that what they use in the antimatter? I thought that was dilithium crystals. Yeah. Well, dilithium that regulates the reaction. It, yeah, it controls the reaction between the matter and antimatter. But remember in the episode where time is all uh, screwed up and there's pockets of time that are progressing slower and faster. Uh, I can't. It's it's. No, it's I'm, I'm having a flashback to my theoretical physics class from uh, that <laughs> first Star Trek convention I went to. Uh, <laughs> well, so I'm saying that's and that's. 
net episode, it's uh, it's Picard and uh, Jordy and Diana are in a, in a shuttle, and they're going through these pockets of time where time progresses faster, and, and yeah. one of the engines passes through one, and suddenly it's out of fuel. And they when they look at it, they say, well, it, it looks like the engine's been running nonstop for like three months, and it's run out of fuel. So it's some kind of a fuel that's not just matter anti-matter. Right. Uh, or maybe it is. I don't know. But maybe it's he's just calling them chemical rockets to make it seem um, seem uh, a little more antiquated, because this is supposed yeah, to be an old ship. Yeah, it's an antique. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. And, I mean, it's, he says chemical rockets engaged. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and the thing is, is, and they actually have seatbelts, too, which is cool. But uh, they still seem to have gravity uh, in there, which, you know, you figure that if this thing was running, you know, that antiquated, that it wouldn't have uh, artificial gravity in there, but it does. Well, even at Enterprise, they had gravity plating, which yeah. is what gave gravity. So that that, so that seems like this ship is not that old. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that ship. Uh, I mean, it looks like it's you know big enough to to live in. You know, like the Millennium Falcon. It's something you can walk around in and and you know as well as uh, travel. Uh, you just well, wonder what kind of food it's got on board. <laughs> don't get too well, attached. Uh, yeah. Oh no, never get too attached. But you, you wonder about these things, like even like uh, uh, Scotty in the the Next Gen episode Relics. They gave him you know a shuttlecraft. And the will to go wherever he wanted. And that thing wasn't a big shuttlecraft; it was a small one. I mean, it had enough room no. to lay down, go to the bathroom, and you know, steer the ship. And that was really about it. And yet, that thing apparently was enough for him to really go wherever he wanted, provided he had enough uh, fuel. Well, it's like giving somebody a van. You know, yeah. as long as you got a place to sleep and drive. You know, <laughs> yeah. And it's got See, a replicator I, I get, too. I, I get frustrated with the. Uh, it's kind of like a. Uh, was it the last Jedi, where it was just the the space chase, and they were running them out of out of gas? Yeah. Um, I don't like it when they introduce that into sci in, into my tracker into Star Wars because it then it's like really so then are they continually stopping for gas at different places? You know they got little uh, shell stations in space you know, to ref <laughs> <laughs> to refuel. Well, I, I think just always assume when we get to this point in technology, right? It's essentially, you know, the the fusion, you know, it's just unlimited. Once well, once it's gonna it be, turns yeah, it's gonna on, be like a, think of a, a an aircraft carrier or a nuclear sub. I mean, it's got fuel, but how often does it have to to you know it, it'll last forever? You know, or the starship least, could, could conceivably go a long time if it didn't have to do unusual things. So it should be able to go years without actually having to stop and, you know, refuel, refit, whatever. Um, the smaller the ship, obviously, you know, the difference you've got in those things. The runabouts and such like they used in Next Gen should be able to go longer than, say, three months or whatever, uh, based on, you know, what they've said before. Because the fuel that they need is so much smaller than what we would use in, say, a chemical rocket. A chemical rocket it uses a huge amount of material that it burns up in seconds. And the idea of them actually having to refuel at every planet they go to sounds like an incredibly expensive you know, thing because you're basically putting like liquid nitrogen, liquid oxygen, whatever right. it is they're they're using you know, yeah. or hydrogen as their you know, as their fuel. It, it again that that's just what makes us all go, hmm. Now in in, in the other cases, I mean I'll be honest, I'm writing a, a science fiction story 
uh, and I put into it an intergalactic truck stop kind of station, a place where you would have to go, you know, where you to need to refuel and such. And these are scattered throughout the, this particular galaxy. So you can get, you know, from one to the other just so you can continue traveling. They're gas stations. Yeah. Well, let's, let's ask our rocket expert, Kirk, uh, what, what letter <laughs> motor would you have to have to get this thing off the ground? Jeez, <laughs> oh, probably an M, N, or an O. I mean, I think you'd be going uh, Z squared. Was, <laughs> yeah. Pretty big. I was just thinking about that. I hadn't remembered that I told you guys I was into that. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, again, I don't think that there's any point, when, uh, going back to this, the story itself, I don't think that artistically there's anything lacking in this book or any slips or anything. You know, the, the space scenes look, you know, uh, is as good as anything that Byrne does. And I like the way he uses the black on certain pages for that um, the negative space that he uses. But then he kind of... Um, He's got it. No, he's got it all through this this particular book. I remember commenting on that before, but uh, I like yeah, that a lot of black, black borders, black borders uh, being used on there rather than white borders. It adds something to it, and of course, when you're dealing with space travel, it helps uh, add to that as well. I like the art. I thought yeah. uh, it's nice and crisp and clear, <laughs> and uh, so I thought that that was very. I, I think nice. the, the only thing about it is McCoy himself. And we know, of course, that Byrne had to work on creating his own model to work with. Um, it, it, it times, and again, it's just the eyebrows to me, I think, that does it. It gives him an almost cartoony appearance mm-hmm. from time to time. Mm-hmm. You can and, see that. Yeah, and I think that's what makes me think of Popeye, for whatever reason. Everybody else is, is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Byrne said that him having a beard helped. Yeah. Because he could just throw that beard in, and and it's funny on on his forum he said he said let me uh, I don't know what he called him he said let me stop the the complaints he goes no I did not model him on myself <laughs> just because it's been beard <laughs> mm-hmm. but no, I think he he's very successful with McCoy because he there there's occasionally this like eh, it doesn't quite look like D Kelly but sometimes it looks very much like you know yeah. enough that uh, because it's weird because in some some of the other Star Trek books where they try to, I think, to, they try to capture the likeness too much, it kind of pulls me out of the book. And I'm thinking some of those early next-gen um, comics. Yeah. That, uh, the first couple ones I read. But um, too much I think it's better. Yeah. yeah, if you just, just make it look like like who you think it is. It doesn't have to be uh, a photo referenced. It's like his Indiana he, Jones. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and the, and the Kurt's only in here really like that can only probably see I can see two panels. A couple really, pages. That he probably used photo reference. Um, he said he traced them. He basically traced them from referencing. But um, anybody want one of those flying skimmers? Those are cool. Yeah. I wonder what the battery <laughs> life is on that. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me of uh, Flash Gordon when they first <laughs> pulled him out, the Hawkman, or the... Flying blind in a rocket cycle. <laughs> Gordon's still alive. Okay. <laughs> okay, now you had made a comment about Fila uh, when she was trying to get out of the jail. Fila of the House Trelon. Excuse me. Fila yeah. of the House Trelon. <laughs> yeah. But you were saying that that she was doing something unsavory. 
I, that's I mean, the best to impression me, it I got. Like she was offering him money or you know riches rather than herself. No, it was definitely sexual favors. Really? Where did you get that? If you let me out of here, I can definitely make it worth your while. I mean, okay, it's more about his his reaction because he says, "I'm not even going to ask what that means." That he gets sick. <laughs> yeah, true, so true. Maybe she didn't mean that, but that's how he's taking it. So. Yeah, I I I, obvious, I I just didn't read it that way myself. I mean, again, you know, he's drawn her though to be vivacious and and and, and mm-hmm. such. So again, you I can see how it could be read that way, but I I didn't, you know. Well, it's I, interesting the way he draws her. She's almost drawn. She's always got this. I want, I'm not want to say a provocative pose, but look at the way mm-hmm. she's squatting on that table. Yeah, yeah, that's. Um, and she's got a very short skirt, so she had to be careful if she's going to be flashing people. <laughs> well, it's not even really a skirt because it's slit on the side. Yeah, it's more of a tunic. And it's um, yeah, and it's it. There's a there's a worse pose that she has in the first page of the next issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, she's very voluptuous. <laughs> well, we'll Based see. On this characterization, I don't think she'd be offering that. I think she was going to pay him money because she's throwing around her weight most of the time is that hey i'm of the royal house even though she's trying to escape it but um she still tries to use it to her advantage and i think it would have been and he's just like maybe he thought was sexual but he's like you know it's more trouble than i'm worth even if it's money or what (laughs) it's just not worth it well she's a little like uh um oh friday's child what's the woman's name that gives birth that Bonds and McCoy, and, he, and she's, you know, nobody can touch her. Oh, Julie Newmar. Yeah, but I'm talking about the. I was thinking about the characters. But anyway, that that yeah. storyline where she's um, the, the, the wife, uh, of, the wife tier. of Tier, and nobody can touch her except, and then McCoy kind of basically slaps her back and is like, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take care of this baby. You better just shut up." So he kind of right. overpowered. So I get a little vibe of that from here that he's yep. kind of he's devil women like this before already. So. There's a, a an in, image on the web of Trisha Helfer made up as an Andorian. And I could definitely see her being uh, Thela. Ooh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, right. I, I like Thela. I think she's uh, and I think she's developing into a good character here. I like um and I like that they added her dynamic into or that John Byrne added this dynamic into um McCoy, I think McCoy always needs a challenge. <clears throat> excuse me. To um, he, I think he needs something to work off of. And, and um, in the original series, it was Spock, and here it's it's her. And I I really like um, how uh, it kind of creates that sort of tension, but also that underlying respect deep down. You know, but neither one of them, or at this point anyway, would would. Uh, admit to it, you know, because it just, just like yeah, yeah, you know. Well, and if he has a, uh, and I don't know how it is in Australia, but if he is kind of estranged from his daughter, then she would be kind of a surrogate. Yeah. Mm. he's got somebody he could kind of um, relate to, and she works a little bit as uh, the, the our the the kind of the the eyes of the reader because because she's new, he can explain a lot of stuff to her. So yeah. that gets some exposition out without it being kind of wordy, yeah. really wordy. Right. So it's, I it's, still, I, you know, while it was McCoy and I could hear McCoy's voice, I didn't ever hear McCoy give that, you know how McCoy kind of flies off the handle 
uh, argument, you know, when, when he did, mm-hmm. well, you know, whatever. And, and I, I mean, the, the thing is, like, I, I, I can hear both as DeForest Kelly or even Carl Urban, because Carl Urban did a fantastic job of channeling oh, DeForest Kelly. He did. He and, is and, and, he is great. So, it's it, you know, it's like, uh, but I never, yeah, I mean, while, while he was D. Kelly or, you know, DeForest Kelly or Carl Urban, in, in his mannerisms and voice, I never heard him do that fly off the handle, McCoy, and I was waiting for that. But, you know, again, maybe one of the later stories, uh, we get more of that. But let me ask you guys, what did you think, though, of the Admiral Kirk bookends to the story? Did it really add to it, or was it? do you think it was, wasn't necessary, or, or was it? Uh, I I'm fine with them. I liked it, because I liked seeing yeah. Admiral Ward. I love seeing Kirk in his Admiral uniform. Uh, I like seeing kind of what's going on with because um, you're not dealing with just McCoy. You're kind of seeing what's going on back at Earth too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to see Shatner. It's nice to see the. I will say this: the uh, for whatever problems people might have with the the motion picture uniforms, they they look great in a comic. Well, the Admiral uniform looks really good, and his Captain's golf shirt uniform looks good. But the regular blue pajamas, like the 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 one person here is wearing. Still, just I never ever liked those because they look like they got footies in them, like pajamas. They do. Footies. They've got yeah. they've got built in. They're like Doctor Denton's. They got built in. Um. <laughs> but you know, Kirk's Admiral's outfit. It's got you know slits there, so you can tell he's wearing boots. Well, on, they, on, they, on the Admiral yeah. outfit. Mm-hmm. Well, and he, the way he's got her drawn looks like she's kind of got. But and you could easily fix that. You could just do that as a slit and have that as a boot instead of built into the yeah uh, built into the thing. The thing about the admiral uniform is, I thought that was his dress uniform. Why would he be wearing that around the office when he had just a standard uh, outfit, more of his blue outfit? He loves that little control unit on his belly because it shows how thin he is for one, and he's got buttons <laughs> that he can press. <laughs> it, it's his Doctor Theophilus BD BD BD. What's that? <laughs> God. <laughs> Somebody said they thought that when they brought that up in, on his forum. He said they thought that that was a belt buckle. It's like no, it's a it's a scanning device or a it's a it's a called like it's a personal it monitors you or something. It's it's not a it's not a it's not a it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a new like generation Apple phone. <laughs> yeah, this is Apple phone. He thought it was really cool when that guy from uh, iMud was wearing something similar there, you know. So he had so to I'll, do I'll, it too. <laughs> All the FaceTimes, all the FaceTime calls are from everybody's crotch. <laughs> no, that's their Jeez. belly button. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I like the bookends with Kirk because, you know, between the three of them, right, uh, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy, you know, they, they have a. It's always been that way. They've had a strong friendship, and so it would. It, it seems. It seemed normal to me, right? That. Bones would be communicating back with his friend about what he's doing. Yeah, and it, and it, the fact that he's handwriting letters, you know, points more to to uh, McCoy's kind of love for the antiquated, and, and you know, because yep. he says, you know, why he's the only person that would actually write something and send it to me. Um, so I, I didn't have a problem with. Him. I thought they were or they were. It was a nice storytelling device to have mm-hmm. him read these be reading these stories because you get to see, to your point david you get to see the continued friendship between kirk mm-hmm. and coy yep and and you know if you were friends with someone for that long if you were off having adventures you know which obviously 
Kirk is never satisfied sitting behind a desk. You know, this probably helps a little of that itch for him <laughs> to, uh, you know, reading about what uh, what Bones is doing out there. Reading yeah. about the hot, blue-skinned uh, yeah. chick. <laughs> right. It's green skin. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, considering how the relationship develops in the next issue, um, we'll see how how her character arc develops. Yeah. Have we... Uh, have we covered this one enough? We're I think about yeah, that's we're going to go on to, to, to guys, number two. Do you guys want to take a little podcast break, uh, put a promo in here, and uh, come back in a few moments? Sure. Sounds like a good uh, idea. We'll I, could, I could use a, a quick break. Yeah, we'll be back right ah. after this. Thank you. Drama. Lust. Snark. Comedy. Heartbreak, creativity, poetry, illicit affairs, rage, revenge, testosterone poisoning, gunshots, sculpture, feminine hygiene products, naked car crashes. You know what we haven't had in a long time? And liver. Terry Moore, Strangers in Paradise, the audio adaptation, coming to your ear holes in late 2020 on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Liver is my life. And we're back, and uh, we're getting ready to cover the next uh, book of Dr. No, I'm sorry, Leonard McCoy, but Frontier Doctor. And this That's one's right. it's titled it's Error. Error, issue number two in our four-issue mini-series. This one we actually have a solicit for, too. So if you were uh, flipping through your previews magazine and back in, when it would have been like February of that year, you would have seen uh, the solicit for number two, and it says, Dr. McCoy hates mysterious ailments. He also hates the transporter. Now <laughs> he finds himself on a world beset with one where the only means of getting around is the other. John Byrne's tale set in, this, in the, the period before Star Trek, the motion picture continues here. So that's our solicit. And the book is entitled Error. Uh, we pick up with the crew. Uh, uh, McCoy is, is talking to uh, Tila about some of their adventures. and Of the house, Trelon. <laughs> <laughs> She's earned it. Uh, telling her about some of the adventures, right? So we're getting a little flashback to some of the, uh, you know, in our minds, not in the actual book, but to uh, the mirror universe. And uh, we'll come back to this first panel on the second page. Uh, And she, you know, uh, goes away, goes back to Duncan. Duncan, you know, uh, evidently, you know, the exploits of the Enterprise, which, of course, has always been the flagship and the fleet, you know, must be well known because Duncan uh, tells her that he's not sure how much of these stories he believes. So this is kind of like the the uh, the janitor version, right, of, of some of these epics, right? You know there's somebody that they just clean toilets all day in the Star Trek universe, they don't get to go on all these fantastical adventures, so I'm sure to, you know, some normal people, uh, some of that uh, adventures would sound just, you know, crazy. You mean you're they're, they're part of the lower decks? 
We continue on, and we find out that they're going to Gamma Tarsus 7, which is uh, composed uh, primarily of water, except for five islands where uh, Dr. McCoy says that their total land mass uh, adds up to the size of Manhattan. And we've got beautiful burn architecture that we're presented with. They look like huge skyscrapers, uh, uh, cylinders. They land, and... Who do they run into? Scotty. So Scotty is here uh, because the uh, Calamari people want to join the Federation because their technology is uh, aging. And they recognize that by joining the Federation, uh, they're going to get a lot of great technology from becoming a part of it. Scotty and Bones exchange greetings, does introductions, and... We move on into the first kind of flag here where uh, Scotty's telling Bones that the only way to get around is by transporter. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you have to put this headband on uh, or, you know, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And I think he compares it to being on like a bender for like a week. And <clears throat> they go through their first beam down into the, uh, the city and we get a, a really cool two-page spread here from Burn, where uh, it's showing these cylinders are actually comprised, you know, like a skyscraper, level after level after level, and it's where they grow all of their food. And we get our first glimpse of the alien race, and we find out that because of, uh, or Bones tells us, because of their bone structure, they permanently have a smile on their face, or it looks to us like they have a smile on their face. A rictus which, grin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is incredibly creepy, if you think about it. Uh, it was creepy. It was creeping me out reading this. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I was ima- trying to imagine myself, you know, on this planet, and everybody has a perpetual smile on their face, and you just be like, okay, enough. Uh Scotty uh, tells Bones, you know, to be patient uh, with uh, the uh, Tarsians uh, because they're devils for ritual, and uh, they're introducing uh, each other, and it's going on for a while. And Bones is, has had about enough because he wants to do what he's supposed to do, which is there's a, a medical mystery on the planet. People are dying, and they can't figure out why. And, of course, when he decides to kind of march off because he wants to go see his patients and and uh, one, one of the, uh, uh, I think it's the daughter of one of the, the uh, upper people, tells Bones, no, 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 you know, you've got to meet with each person's family and they have to bless that it's okay for you to take care of, you know, their family member. And, of course, he says the hell with that, right, because people are dying and he thinks he's just going to march in there, and he gets tasered or batoned, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> comes to there's that uh, Brian. I think you were saying that little bone, bones kind of rage. Mm-hmm. You can get a little little hint of it there. Uh, he comes to three hours later, and Scotty, of course, is there, uh, and Tila. You know, they're thankful he's okay, and, and they tell him, "Look, you just got to do this." So he does. Uh, they start doing, uh, or I should say, Bones 
goes to Duncan, asks him what he's found. Duncan says nothing. You know, he doesn't understand it. He's run all these tests. And uh, Bone says, okay, well, we we need to go back to our ship because the medical equipment on the ship is more advanced than what's here. Boy, you're we, being very kind there. Yeah. Bones basically <laughs> said, you're an idiot. <laughs> what do you mean? You're trained. Yeah. So uh, they go back to the ship, and Bones uh, starts scanning. Uh, he scans a Vulcan. He scans a lizard person. He scans uh, a woman from Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. And he <laughs> makes mention that she's flooding the room with uh, pheromones as soon as Duncan walks in. He scans Scotty. He scans Duncan. He scans Tila. He's trying to find any any differences between, you know, uh, the alien, the different alien physiologies that would point him to the answer as to what is uh, uh, causing these people to die. Can't find it, and so he is frustrated and decides that, uh, you know, he needs to go on a walk. And this is also occurring in one of their most holiest of days. The what do they call it? The Alec. Alec Cam Tamo. And so he goes for a walk to try and clear his head. Duncan and Tila do the same thing. They're walking through uh, the like the farming, one of the farming levels, and uh, Duncan and Tila kiss. And I guess uh, during that same time, you know, he uh, figures out, and she also at the same time, that the plants are you know, they're all the same. They're, they're all clones. And so they start to wonder if that has something to do with what's affecting the people. Uh, Bones and Scotty uh, have a couple drinks. Bones goes off, goes off, and he finds trouble uh, because he f- goes down into some sub-basement because he doesn't want to go through the transporter again he, he actually finds a door goes down in the sub basement he finds this big throbbing <laughs> orb <laughs> and as, uh, as soon as he he finds it he gets zapped again uh, the people are going to put him on trial because he broke one of their you know most sacred you know vows or uh, you know laws because he was in that area he wasn't supposed to be uh, Scotty pleads his case to not lock him up, but is unsuccessful. And we kind of fast forward here as Tila and Duncan are continuing to work on the problem. And we get uh, Bones uh, recording in his journal and then is taken away for his trial. In the meantime, we go back to, uh, or Bones makes a comment to Tila and Duncan to check his log as he's being taken away. Well, he has to transport down to face his tribunal, uh, his court hearing, and right before he's about to beam down, he takes off the headband. And when he does that, uh, he's completely baffled when he rematerializes in front of Scotty, and he can't understand what's going on. Well, the headbands, it turns out, are tied into the orb, and Tila and Duncan uh, beam down at this at uh, the same time and explain that 
uh, Bones was correct that the headbands do have something to do with what's going on, and they're tied into the orb, and that this orb is actually creating a, a, a essentially a copy of the person every single time they use the transporter, and when they rematerialize, uh, it. I'm drawing a blank here. It basically they're like reloading a game. They're, yeah, they're, they're they're reset to how they re- they were the first time they went through. And the 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 headbands uh, reloads the memories of what's gone on since. So when McCoy appears on the transporter pad, he's the McCoy that first showed up there, and that's why he's completely confounded because a week apparently like a week has passed, and he doesn't remember any of it. Uh. You know, Bones tells him that, uh, you know, you can't keep doing this. You know, uh, every time they're using this transporter that they're accumulating, you know, uh, clumps of, of basically dead cells. And so over time, that that's building up in their bodies, and that's what's killing them. Mm-hmm. And they kind of uh, have a Mandalorian way about them, right? Like, this is the way... You know, they, they tell him, you know, this is the path that, that we've chosen, and, you know, that they'll continue to do that. Yeah. We are then, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of mm-hmm. weird, like, eh, <laughs> too bad. So then the last page of the book, uh, we're presented with uh, Kirk. He's on the bridge of, uh, I believe this is supposed to be a, a reproduction of the new Enterprise refret, refit, and Scotty shows up. And says, uh, "Here's a letter for you from Bones." And then that's it. Good uh, job. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and this was one of those really interesting stories. You know, when when I first saw these these aliens, um, I was I was sitting there kind of uh, I was I was going to criticize Byrne in that he didn't make a lot of differentiation for age and and all these other things, and then come to find out the shot of the story is that, no, this is the way they are because of what they're doing here. So it makes sense. But uh, these are some seriously messed up aliens. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all yeah, I, got, I got a lot of problems with this uh, yeah. with this story. Well, I mean, it reminds me of that Fantastic Four story where you had those aliens that had been going around in that ship for thousands of years and they'd evolved to the point where, you know, they were looking for their new home planet, but because they'd evolved over that ship over thousands of years, when they finally get to the new planet, which is just like open in the wild, they can't handle it. So they just go back in the ship and, you know, continue on like that cruise ship in Wally. But that uh, makes sense. That yeah. that made a lot of sense. This this some of the science in this that Byrne tries to explain it just sounds wonky. It does not seem to make sense at all. But it, it, um, it also kind of made, you know, I mean, the, the transporter thing in this made me think of uh, the movie The Prestige with Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. and Christian Bale. <laughs> Dead bodies. Yeah, all, all the extra all the extra bodies. Because, you know, basically it confirms the idea that the transporter just kills whatever's there and creates another one over there. Mm-hmm. An exact duplicate. So you know, all all the characters they've been killed a long time ago, and we're just looking at copies of them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the that's <laughs> and well, that's the thing. And they they, if they they never talk about that. It's brought up in the tech manual, but it's never talked about actually in the show that it is destroying. You know, you step into it, 
destroys you and then creates a duplicate. You know, to me, I always understood it, it converted you to energy, beamed you somewhere, and then reassembled you. So you thought, well, I'll, that's still me because I'm. But yeah. think about it. Uh, if uh, if that was the way it worked, though, Data would would definitely oppose even being put in a transporter, considering he didn't want Maddox taking him apart. Well, I think <laughs> it's it's funny because I I just right before I read this, I watched uh, Realm of Fear, which is a Barkley transporter. Yeah, you know, centric episode, uh, and they never talk about. Uh, think about, okay, you get the Federation, you've got hundreds of planets, and I know in the mainstream Federation and Starfleet, they don't really talk about religion. That you know, religion is kind of not. It's kind of right. It's either um, it's either not not. It's either they don't have religion or they just don't really talk about it because I think what that does was God ru- need with a starship? <laughs> that was Roddenberry's <laughs> idea. But they've, they've got all these other races, and even on Earth, you, you've got to tell me that if that's the case, that somebody, based on how people react to things today, that somebody would not say, now, wait a minute, you're destroying me, and you're copying me. So is that new me, does that person exist? Does it have rights? Does it, is it considered a person? Ask uh, Thomas Riker. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's another thing. There you go. I've, always, I've always wanted them to do a story on... How does Thomas Riker exist in the Federation? He the is Marquee. a duplicate. Well, not now. He's in a Cardassian prison. Uh, he's spoiler he's alert. A, he's okay. He's duplicated, and he okay. So he comes back out, and they're like, "Well, I'm going to take my you know my middle name, and I'm just like, go off." Well, he seems that he doesn't have the same rank as Riker, but the Federation wouldn't the Federation go, like, "Okay, well, we got to assign you the equivalent of a social security number." Uh, you can't have Rikers, so who are you? You're basically uh, just a person just appeared out of nowhere. You're, uh, uh, you know, you have no, you shouldn't, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have any citizenship, to my opinion. No, 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 because well, he, he should, because he's an exact copy. So he's got all the he's memories, not. education, he's not. training. He's got seven years of completely different life. Right, he's he's an exact copy, but he's like, it's like he could magically create a person. I would think that person have I am, and he. I mean, well, right. Would that person have any rights under Federation law? They Only should. If he renews at age thirty. Carnival <laughs> renew. <laughs> well, how does that work? Does he get? I mean, well, they, that's the thing. It's always bugging me. The, the, the Star Trek has never really explained the whole. Um, wouldn't it be like if? When they bring in a whole new planet or society or a colony into the Federation, then they would just bring them into the system and they could just do that with Thomas was just like oh okay like he's a refi- like he's a refugee or something yeah, yeah it would it would be discriminatory right or unequitable which Star Trek is all about equality to treat Thomas differently even though you know in his mind which is a copy of Rikers the original Riker um He's done all the same things. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Wait a second, wait a second. hold on, hold on, hold on. Who's to say that Will Riker is the original Riker? Thomas was the well, one that was on the that's planet, another left question. on the planet. That's another okay. question. Who's the yeah. real one? Yeah. That's right. And, and so you can't, the thing is, unless there's already been, and there probably has been, you know, within the, the, the uh, 
<laughs> Again, you know, this is all just, you know, supposition. Basically. Now we're going into the clone saga here, Fiction. fellas. But, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, like Starfleet and, 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 and more likely Vulcans would have come across, you know, come up with their own legislation and ideas about cloning and duplicates and, you know, the disposition or, you know, whatever of. There's probably some planet, you know, like like a SETI Alpha, you know, nine or whatever, you know, that's out there. <laughs> where you've got all these duplicates of people that have been sitting there for for generations. So you've got the children of the duplicates out there now. It's it's, it's well, you know, oh, I see how it is. Australia. So you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna push them all onto their own planet, huh? Don't want them well, uh, mixing with the originals. Is that what you're saying? Well, has I don't. Has, <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We we have to go back to the story, okay? And then we'll pick this back up because it, okay, it does. I, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to get us off on a, a big tangent. <laughs> it, it does, and I, I apologize for kind of bumbling through, you know, the synopsis. But the the idea is intriguing, in that essentially, at some point, and it couldn't have been terribly long in the past. But I, I don't know. Maybe you guys got a better idea. But by doing this process that the, that they're doing to themselves, right? To you know, uh, get this immortality. They've stopped basically all advancement because how can you advance if you're continually being wiped, 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 wiped every time? But they're you... not. They're they're maintaining their memories. Yeah, that's so they're they're for. they're just their bodies are being. It's like they're. It's like if you're putting your mind into a younger body all the time. There's a a, a new series out within the last couple of years called Altered Carbon. It's, yep. uh, I think it's on sci-fi, and you know, basically, the the individual lives on forever. But you know, basically, they're de- taken down to a, a disc, and that's their original copy. But the, their their mind, in essence, is put into what they call a sleeve, which is a, a body. Now, typically, it's their own body or a clone version of their own body, and so they can essentially live forever. And they just keep having their mind put into you know whatever body you know that they need, um, and in this case, they're they're having their minds uploaded to that huge gigantic black orb, and then as they use the transporter, they wear the headphone the the, the headband, and the headband beams in the the current updates from that you know from their their mind. I mean, again, it's all copies of copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, just, I apologize, and I apologize for misspeaking. My main issue with the story was: Did they really think that they'd be able to hide this? I don't think they seem to want to hide it because they, they don't want to hide it. Yeah, they, they, they. Well, I mean, they weren't forthcoming and saying, "Hey, this right. is how this That's works." But they didn't deny it when when McCoy says, "Hey, I know what you're doing." He's like, "Yeah, this is this is our way." Uh, I think uh, if they wanted to do this, it could have been done in more. I think more easily instead of they, they, they say, okay, the only way you get around this place is transporter. So if you may, you know, think about how often you move around your house or leave your house or go somewhere. I mean, if these people are transporting 10 times a day to go up and down these levels and everything, that's not necessary because it's, it's given them a new copy or they're resetting their body every single time. Just have it so that once a year on this holy day, everybody goes and transports renews their body and does their brain you do it once a year you don't have to do it every single time you transport and that way you wouldn't be building up as much of these um 
undead atoms, as McCoy calls them, mm-hmm. uh, in the system. So you wouldn't, one, you would be dying as quickly because you're not doing it so often. Uh, I, I thought this really needed to be explored more. I mean, it, it's kind of wrapped mm-hmm. up at the end. It's like, hey, who, who's to say your, your way is any better than mine? And that's it. That's the end of the story. Uh, I thought he could have really talked more about, you know, is this their religion? Is this their way? Uh, this is the way they want to they want to proceed. That that uh, they know that if they didn't do this, they would just naturally die. Uh, are they? Do they have children? Are they procreating? You know, no, because it says there's no children. That's that's another thing I couldn't understand. Was so did they just decide at some point that they weren't going to have any more? people be born because i don't know i think it's tila and duncan that notice that that there you would have to prevent them from using the transporters because they would just keep reverting them back to the infant stage well they'd have to yeah they couldn't well what's funny is this story this now we'll give this the burn it's kind of high concept yes um this does what people talk about on on regular trek all the time that you know they're constantly having some kind of a transporter malfunction <laughs> and they're using the transporter to fix it but they never go back and use that like oh well if we did this we could do the same thing if these folks are doing the story that we could continually be uh you know when they when they uh in the second season episode where uh plasky gets she gets a disease she ages and they find a way of taking some of her old dna right. and running it through there and de-ager it's like mm-hmm. well that's exactly what these people are doing so you could do that but it's like no, on Star Trek, that's one and done. We don't, we don't want, or, or Trek seems to be they don't want to do that. You know, the Federation doesn't seem to want to. Transporter can't be the save all. Exactly, but, but it really it, could except be. It to, is. To what, when it, yeah, it to what be. Tim's talking about, it could be right. So let's just say you had cancer. You know, if you really are being broken up atom by atom, then just don't put the cancerous atoms back. Right. Well, it's a, again, it would be as simple they as don't that. Talk about cancer on in Star Trek. Oh, yeah, it's, like it's so even around, so apparently well, they're doing. Something. Well, the biofilter would take that up, but look at look at the episode Rascals. We're all converted into kids. Like oh, I want to be a kid again, but I'm going to keep my my current level of intelligence and what I know. Okay, we're going to zap you now. You're 12 years old again. You get to grow up again, but you still remember everything. You could do that constantly, but that's always treated as oh, this is a screw up, and we got to fix it. Uh, and it and don't you get the impression that if Picard was presented with hey, we can make you immortal. He, the, the Federation doesn't seem like they want that. They don't want to. They want to kind of earn everything. They want to. They don't want. Uh, you know, th- there is a, there is. It seems to be a an idea in, in the Federation of not relying on too much relying on automation, or they want to do things themselves. So it, it doesn't seem like that's something they would pursue, even if it was given to them. Well, I think you know, it's almost like the computer would tell you. Oh, well, you'd say. Uh, computer, uh, Dr. Pulaski got this as a result of this. Can we use a transporter to fix it? And the computer would say, under these circumstances, yes. But you're going to have so many where it would just say no. I mean, you, you'd have to create a flowchart if then, you know, to sit there and look at all the situations under which you could use it and could not use it because of moral, ethical, whatever implications that there may be. And so, you know, that's why you would say in the Pulaski situation, it was okay to use it. Well, I think, yeah, you think, you know somebody. Somebody is is doing black market uh, de-aging or something in the in the Federation or, or yeah, in an off-world somewhere that's, that you could go and, and – uh, because it's it's like 
okay, we want to advance medicine as much as we can so that you can live naturally as long as you can, uh, even to the point of having artificial, um, you know, parts, you know, Picard's got artificial heart. But we don't want to come up with something that's like a, that would make you, like if you came up with a drug that would allow you to live three times your normal lifespan. They don't seem to want to pursue that. They just want to. That always bugged me. Why Harry Mudd's Beauty Emporium. Yeah, but why does Picard (laughs) have the Jarvik sports model and not just another cloned heart put in there, you know? I mean, basically, his heart got skewered by a, a cut luch or whatever type of uh, weapon the Nausicans use. It, it seemed yeah. to make sense that they'd be able to put an organic something in there as opposed to a mechanical device. It's unusual. Well, didn't they, they established in uh, Up the Long Ladder, didn't they establish that cloning was for was forbidden in the Federation? I could yeah. have sworn in other, other episodes or, or, or not, you know, uh, even Crusher made a comment of "I'll have to clone a new whatever for him." But well, I, I guess could cloning be wrong a, there. Well, I mean, they, they did clone grow, people was banned, right? That cloning, the they clone they clone Worf a new spine, right? Uh, but they couldn't clone a heart. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. It's, that was you know what, is, thirty years the, ago. So maybe the they convenience were. of writing is what it is. That's all it is. Yeah. It's, that's, yeah. Well, technology wasn't books. available in that part of the galaxy at that moment when he needed a new heart, right? But to that point was when he was when McCard was converted to a little kid. If he still had that heart, artificial heart, it wouldn't have fit in that little kid's body. Good point. <laughs> yep. Potholes. <laughs> hmm. Potholes. Yeah. But back to the story. Uh, <laughs> that was that was just my big concern. I thought it was just it was in um, some of McCoy's his explanation of, and I wish Bernard had just written a little differently. When he's saying that, because he seems to want to discuss, or is it here on? He's talking about the way the transporter works. He says we don't um, that in every living thing there's not one living atom, but somehow your life force is almost, I guess, your soul is transported with you. But these people are somehow screwing that up, so they're getting these. Un, these undead or unliving atoms built up that to me that just didn't make that didn't make any sense it's like a, a VCR copy <laughs> but it's not it's not so much a copy it's like you know it's like you're playing a game and you're like you get killed oh, I'm gonna re, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my last save and start over again but I get all I keep to keep all the experience I had um, when I reset the you know the set the game before I died so it's like that so it's not like they're, you know, because in when they talk about cloning, Crusher talked about that in Up the Long Ladder. He, she said, when you clone so many times, you get like genetic drift or something, so you right. do get problems. And I wish he had kind of worded it a little differently, just that you're, by resetting yourself so many times, you're building up something. I just didn't like I just didn't like his wording to it. But um, And I thought there should be a discussion on that, but it was like, okay, this is what we do in the story. You know, so they've been around thousands of years longer than they should have, but that's well, because it, of the way they're doing things. And it, and if, and if it seems they want to join the Federation because they know they would have uh, access to higher uh, technology, their transport technology seems to be pretty advanced. If they can, <laughs> right. if they can, and the giant dropping orb. 
I think their whole reason for wanting to join the Federation was just so they could see if there was a way to fix what's killing them beyond stopping the whole transporter thing. It was kind of like, you know, this is our only chance, so let's go ahead and take it. I mean, we don't really need to be in the Federation. We just need to see if we can get a way to help ourselves. Well, you you get the impression they didn't know... They they didn't know that their their uh, their transporter technology was what was causing the problem. So I think they knew. You think they knew? Yeah, no, I think they, they, they knew. did know, and because it, um, Bones well, makes the note, it was chilling watching Shar Shmolo effectively pronouncing a death sentence on his people. His fixed smile never wavering. Yeah, because in his mind, because uh, you know, his Bones is preaching. You know the the wrongness in his mind of what they're doing. Uh, you know because you're gonna you're gonna keep doing it. You're gonna, you're condemning your race to eventual extinction. And he says, and if we stop, eventually, like all things, we die after only brief fleeting lives. But that's what kids are for. So if they are, yeah, you, the individual die. But if you're if you're continuing to have kids, and your race is going to survive and, and progress. They didn't, and they didn't provide why they're not having kids. I know. It, but, it, I mean, well, it, if, if it's... It just I, seems I think, like that logical step that, you know, that I was talking about, that the kids would have a hard time aging in that society. Because well, they'd have, they'd have to not use a transporter up until a certain age, and then they can start using it. Yeah, but yeah. You know, the, the, the point is is that I don't think the entire society is aware of what's going on. They just know that they're living forever, and, you know, that's it. Yeah, and the tribunal even says you're a very clever off-worlders. Most of the, most of the people of our world do not themselves know about right. this. Right. Only we who are the oldest, and we mean to, to continue this way. So if they're the oldest, then they must be using the transporters the least. <laughs> Great, they, use every, definite... they use them every 10 years. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering, then, why did they? Why was McCoy brought over to find out why they were dying if these elders knew that that to was the cause? To see if there was a cure. That's the oh, only okay. thing. Is it to bring in an outside opinion to see if there's a cure? And right now, as it is, there is none. And, of course, we'll never see any continuation of this story. That doesn't mean that, you know, there isn't a cure forthcoming. There isn't a fix forthcoming. Oh, you just need to adjust the Heisenberg compensator to blah, blah, blah. I mean, well, again, it's, you know, it you seems the coy is just, it seems coy is just like, okay, well, I told you what the problem is. You either going to stop using the, your transporter in this way or uh you're all gonna die and he's like, okay, well that's our way. It, it seems Burner's talking I mean there seems to be stuff about he's like, hey, he's kinda of hitting around the point of is this their religion? Uh you know, it's it's is it a discussion on well, my religion says I must do this, even though it may not be beneficial to me, but that's my religion and I, I'm I'm upholding to it so I'm gonna right. continue to do it. I want a more discussion on that. Or do they want to live do they all want to live really long lives because they're trying to find the answer to something or it's not just, yeah, we want to live, we want to live forever. Maybe they were trying to find the answer to, you know, maybe they have a God they're trying to find, or maybe it's some eternal question, you know, you know, Hey guys, it's 42 by the way. But, um, maybe I I think that's where this story gets kind of bogged down and it's, yeah. 
logic because I didn't look at it so much as a religious thing. It was a cultural thing. And so I'm always well, taking back cultural to religion, that. Yeah, I, I, you, okay. you know what I mean? Like taking back to those uh, sociology classes, right? Or, or you know, uh, study where you have to remove yourself from your own culture and try to not judge your, you know, push your norms onto their culture. The problem I have with it is because of their own admission, the tribunal, the old, you know, what's called the elders, the fact that the society as a whole doesn't know, to me, makes it wrong because they're not being given a choice. Yeah, I agree with you that. You get what I'm saying? You can't yeah. say it's part of your culture. It's consent if, of the governed. And again, you're, you're not just talking you know, religious religion. You're, you're talking, I mean, we could sit there and say the same thing about the way our, our Senate and House is run and without term limits and all the things that they get. And we just let it continue to go on because the only way to change it would be to vote every one of them out into and put new people in that would actually overturn the, the pattern they've got. And that's not something that, that there's an easy way to do. And for them to make any change would require a huge change sociologically. It, it's a self, you know, defeating proposition that uh, the only response, the only end is extinction. And that's a sad statement. But you would think that there would be, if you had... Uh, sure, there 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 are people on this planet that maybe don't use a transporter as much. So, would it appear? Would it feel like, hey, you seem like you're getting a little older? I'm not, or I'm getting older. You're not. And then, uh, but, 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 I mean, you see, <laughs> you see, the thing is, they've got this society is based on all their pomp and circumstance, all their rituals and everything. And so, I am sure they've created the situation where everybody has to go to particular places on particular days, meaning that at least once a week they have to use the transporter. That's why I think it would be it would make more sense if they did it on this holy day. If it comes in once a year, right. everybody has to go, and you know maybe it's you have to go to the temple or you go to some place to worship or whatever it is, whatever you do, and that way they are secretly transporting people. You know, and then that's how they renew them. Or, what if it was just the elders that were doing this using this technology? They felt they needed to be uh, immortal so they could guide the race, and maybe they were starting to die off. But they didn't want to. They didn't want to. You know, maybe they were considered special or something. That's why they continued to live so long while the other aliens, you know, lived a normal lifespan and died. So there's 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 stuff here. I just wish he'd explored a little more. I mean, again, in the twenty-two page book, how can you? That's <laughs> true. That's yeah, true. I don't. True, I don't but... think this. Once this plan is exposed, you know, assuming they they join the Federation and uh, you know more trade, because I mean, obviously, we've got the Vulcans there, right? We had all those other people there. Um, you would think their own people would start to kind of ask that question, right? Like, well, how come you know we're seeing old people in every other Right, uh, planet that's visiting here, you know, and we don't ever seem to change. Dogmatic. Well, that could that could be well, that, and the fact that they've got if they go into the Federation, the fact that they already have they're already trading with outside worlds brings up even a bigger privacy and security issue because once you transport, your brain is now probably kept inside that 
That's throbbing true. sphere. So, and your your pattern, you know, obviously is keeping your pattern so that every time you transport, it's resetting to that original one. So that is like, hey, I don't want my, I don't, yeah, I, I'm coming here, I'm gonna trade with you, and I have to use your transporter system, but I don't want my, I don't want my consciousness in there, and I don't want my pattern in there. You know, that's you're violating my, um, my identity. Yeah, and, and you know, right so, now you just resolved a whole lot of Star Trek episodes. Hey guys, uh, we need you know someone like Leonard McCoy to solve the situation. He's been dead, dead for three hundred years. Well, let's go to this planet. They can make a new one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's just boot up his old his old self. Just find a piece of hair out of his comb. Well, no, they've got it in that big black orb. Well, that's true. Yeah. What are they going to yeah. do once they run out of space? Are they going to run stacker? Out I hope. Or? I hope they got a heck of a backup system for that. If that thing crashes, you're in trouble. Oh, man. They must have amazing Wi-Fi on that planet, too. Yeah, definitely. Well, here's another question. Okay, McCoy, uh, when you first get there, Scotty says, make sure you wear the headband, because if you don't, you'll get, you know, you'll it'll, it'll kind of screw you up. Do you think Scotty knew about this, or the first time he did it, he thought he just lost, like, a week of time or three days or however long it was, and he just thought that was a side effect of not wearing the headband. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he did say it was a month's worth of pub crawl. Yeah, so did he lose a month of, you know, <laughs> he lost a month of memories? After I've been here like a that. few days, I forgot to put one on, and I arrived at my destination feel like I'd spent a month crawling through every pub in Aberdeen. I mean, basically, he lost a few days, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe that's what they want the Federation to They could get, do away with the headband, and it would just automatically scan your brain, and you wouldn't have to, you know, because obviously people must forget. Well, as, as tied to rituals, these people are, they probably never forget to put that headband, headband on. Speaking of Scotty, how did you guys think Byrne rendered Scotty? He had uh, actually, to use some kind of photo... Yeah, well, it definitely, it definitely was, and it was the more consistent one. You know, it, his look was always more consistent than McCoy's. Um, it, yeah, I see. The first two, first pages when you see him, those those two images are almost exactly alike. They must be taken in the same photo. I don't think it was as success as successful with Scotty in the non-photo reference ones as he was with McCoy. Um, sometimes it just didn't look like Scotty. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's one Scotty that almost looks more like Harry Mudd, and that's on that big page when you see the the garden or the the farming and all that. Um, yeah. On the far right, he's got a, almost a, a Harry Mudd countenance, you know, the way his whole body and everything. But beyond that, you know, again, I didn't have any um, any complaints on Scotty. Where sometimes I think um, his his Kirk looks a little too fresh especially you know the ones on the, the i think it was the last page um his uh Im Im images of kirk are just a little fresher than than i recall from you know the motion picture where he you know i don't know he always looks like he just got back from the gym <laughs> probably did well the, in in the uh, his probably forum case. people had mentioned that that they applauded him for giving Kirk the motion picture uh, hairstyle when a lot of times when, when artists, uh, when Marvel was doing their um, adaption of, uh, or when they had the license, they kept drawing him with his TOS hairstyle. So, 
What do you think of the introduction? And apparently, and I wish he'd just give a little wording to, hey, this new uh, holodeck is really helping out with the refit, you know, to establish that this is a new thing and that, that they're trying to tie it into TY, or TNG. Yeah, he, he probably should have put something in there like, you know, this is a emerging technology yeah, that we only have on you know on Earth right now. Yeah. You know, it helps us to troubleshoot, you know, or whatever, you know, like, construct things in a way we can interact with them before they're actually in the physical world. Yeah. I don't know. My other suggestive I mean, frame I, would have been... I was just tickled pink to see a bridge set. And, you know, again, I want to see more stuff like that in my Star Trek comics where they're exploring and coming across stuff. You know, for me, I, I love the, the ship in the bottle episodes where... You know they're they're on the bridge or you know just on the ship doing stuff and we get very little of that in these comics. You know it's more always elsewhere and the the things that they're encountering you know in their environment rather than dealing with it on the ship. But when he does well, do the bridge, damn it looks good. Mm-hmm. It looks good. Yeah. You think that's supposed to be Decker at the com right there? Don't know, but I mean, again, you know, it looks uh, a little like Decker. Yeah, but Decker would actually be aboard the ship, seeing seeing over the refit there, than uh, working with Kirk. These are probably that, all the you know the lieutenants who carry coffee. Um. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I, 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 from the film, I never got the impression that Kirk was overseeing the the fit, the refit. It was Decker and Scotty. That Kirk was off being, you know, head of Starfleet um, operations. Operations. He was busy. He wasn't necessarily here. He seems to be very involved with, uh, because this, this uh, kind of uh, goes in the face of Decker saying, "You don't know this ship one tenth as well as I do." Well, here it seemed like he's pretty involved. He would know the ship. Yeah, I, I like. You know, the thing is, is that is that you know they gave it more of a, t- a motion picture look where it's got kind of the blue gray. Uh, look about it rather than the the colors of Dillard's Hall's uh, taupe, <laughs> which they say is very soothing, uh, that you saw in Wrath of Khan. But um, yeah, I still like I, I, I like this version of the bridge better. It doesn't have well, the hotel I, I, look for next gen. But I like the uh, gunmetal look of Star Trek VI better than than all of them. I thought that was my favorite bridge design. Kirk has been so quiet. He must have like really hated this issue. He doesn't even want to say anything. No, no, no. I've been listening to the philosophic uh, discussion, and I just, you know, didn't have anything to add that wouldn't take us off on a tangent. No, well, tangents are tangents are fine. I mean, it's, it's, the only other edit I would do is I thought where he's scanning all the people in the sick bay, and you get your Vulcan, you see. I w- that'd have been great if that was a Gorn, but it's not. Yeah, and we, I was thinking he, the same uh, thing. The, the female <laughs> yeah. from. Um, Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. I guess yeah, I want to wasn't talk a, about her in a moment. Go I guess Risa wasn't a thing yet. Wouldn't <laughs> he, he's talking about she's flooding the, the place with pheromones. Wouldn't it be nice if that was a Delton? Yeah. Because she'd be doing the same thing. And he's already had experience with Delton, so, or he hasn't yet, but they obviously are in the Federation, so that would have been interesting. Um, well, having not read the other, um, the, the other issues yet, we do have that scene where... Um, Duncan and uh, what's her name embrace. I'm wondering if the um, like that that She-Hulk episode or arc that they had. I'm wondering if those uh, pheromones that she's putting off have had some sort of an impact on that couple. I don't know if it's going to pay off, 
but I'm suspicious. That would make sense because he does seem to move awfully fast when they they've just kind of flirted, and then he's all he's already into. Hey, I hope our kids come from a big family too. You know, he's already talking about marriage or, or kids or whatever. You know, them settling down. So that I never I didn't pick up on that. Kurt's a good that's a good point. Yeah, but now, we'll see if Kurt leads. Was there some? Um, I, I mean, again, Wrigley's Pleasure Planet is that the one that? Um, from uh, that that episode, uh, Shore Leave, or was is it just a a, a throwaway line of some place that we've never seen? It's no, it it's, we've familiar. never seen it, but it's mentioned. It's mentioned in dialogue somewhere, but it's not the Shore Leave planet. Um, and it rises, kind of becomes a planet yeah. in next gen. Um, well, there so, have to be several around the galaxy, you know. So it's interesting because. She flooded the room with the pheromones as soon as Duncan walked in. I guess McCoy didn't turn her on or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh. she, doesn't like, she doesn't like old men. <laughs> or, or, or beards. <laughs> uh, Wrigley's Pleasure Planet was actually mentioned in The Man Trap, the very first aired episode. Uh, that's right. Yeah. When he, see, when he sees uh, McCoy's old flame, he says she reminds me of a dancer on Wrigley's Planet. Something like that, I think. Yeah. So, right. Except she didn't have so many tentacles and suckers. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool, then, that he's bringing all of these little references from bits and pieces here, kind of like yeah. Roy Thomas with uh, doing World War II stories uh, or characters uh, like All-Star Squadron and uh, Invaders, you know. And he's his... not as over-the-top as, like, Peter David in Q Squared, where everything relied on Has everything else. It, yeah, everything connected to everything, you know. Yeah, no, this is, you guys pointing out a lot of those little subtleties is really cool because, um, you know, I didn't draw the the whole hologram, holograph deck thing yet because, you know, I'm not fully versed on all Star Trek lore. I just enjoy them as we go along. Um, and, but uh, that's kind of a cool to see that if that was emerging technology or, or established as emerging technology, emerging technology then that we just take for granted now yeah uh, and after the tng years um that that's really cool i just didn't even think about that connection so that was a nice little just little subtle things like you said he's not beating beating us over the head with it on a baseball back or tweaking our antennas he's just like a little here a little there little easter eggs that's yeah, great he, when he's talking about his log he mentions finney and Finney falsified the log, you know. Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, if it was, and, and some people will go kind of really crazy over the, you know, and just they think just dropping in reference after reference after reference somehow helps them. But sometimes it, it, it they're like they're like speed bumps. They kind of they kind of slow you down. Right. It, yeah, what do you um, think? It's fan pandering or fan wankery. Yeah. What do you think yeah. about the Rictus smiles? Did that work for you, or was that a distraction? I didn't really like the alien design. I'll, I'll be up front. I, I wasn't crazy about it. I know he was kind of going for kind of a living cadaver kind of look. but Or a just, praying mantis look. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking I praying that. mantis. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I, You know, I, I like it when... Not everybody is a you know a humanoid, right? Or or right. You know, conforms to the same you know uh, things that we expect. You know, it's kind of I, I can't remember what movie it's in. There's a discussion about 
you know, uh, why would we assume that life as it evolved on other planets would automatically be, you know, bipedal? You know, why do we assume that's the default, right? What if we're the yeah. exception? It's the Roddenberry <laughs> principle. Have to go to a Class M planet where we can hire actors that just have to put on a little uh, costuming. Uh, yeah, that's that's budgetary. Well, look at, uh, since you're watching Lower Decks, John, uh, what was it, the last episode of this episode before where they had the the guy that was taking all of the... Is anybody, anybody watching? I don't want to spoil stuff. No. Okay. It's not. They have a, they had a character from the animated series. You know, the three-armed guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He showed up as as on Lower Decks. Yeah. Brax? Brax? Is that his name? Mr. Brax? Or, or I thought his name was Rock uh, or something. I'm getting him confused with Mares, you know, the feline yeah. character. But, yeah, I know you're talking about... But this, so even in three arms and three legs, that's some symmetry there. You know, it's it's. Uh, of course, yeah. Star Trek has even tried to answer that themselves by uh, in the chase. They established this ancient race had seeded all these planets, so that that's why uh, most yeah. most uh, alien species are, are similar to each other: two legs, two arms. You know, that kind of thing. That was a right. convenient. They even looked like the founders of the shapeshifters. Who said they were humanoid at one point? Well, that's because the same actress played her and the the, the head founder. And that was on purpose, though, wasn't it? I don't know if it was supposed to. I don't know if they were trying to tie that with... uh, um, They just wanted some androgynous kind of person to... I think just kind of a blank. But the thing thing with the perpetual smile, though, is in most cases you can... You know the uh, you know person you know the alien with three arms or whatever you can you can see some kind of like evolutionary reason, right? Why that would have been you know pushed forward? Why would you evolve to have a perpetual smile, right? In your in the way your bones are constructed. Well, and again, Star Trek has always done this. They are they are by him calling it a smile, you're imposing human that is true. That is traits true. onto yeah. it. So they wouldn't call it a smile. It's just like this is my whatever, this is my resting alien face. Um, <laughs> so no, <laughs> that's good. I, maybe they, maybe they can't have kids because could you imagine trying to discipline a child? I'm so angry with you right now. You look happy, Mama. I can't tell. I can't tell what you do. It's like they're like the Joker, you know. Um, <laughs> or in other scenarios, you know what I mean. Is this good for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> Are you saying that? Do you really mean it? I think I'm, it, I'm smiling, aren't I? <laughs> I think he was trying to, to the, how they were very polite. They were like the Caminans or Caminans, the Caminans, the clone people. Maybe they're, they're descended pl- from British people. They're yeah, always they're, smiling, and they'll insult you and make you feel like, uh, oh, no, that was nice. They're very polite. They're very uh, rigid in the way they do things. Uh, and I think that was his, the fact that they've got this permanent smile was his way of saying it was hard to uh, read their body language, I guess, because they don't seem to have any facial expression. No. Right. No. Not if they were in, if they were insectoid, that would make sense because you if you had like a uh, uh, exoskeleton, you wouldn't be able to show expression. You know, you'd have the same uh, expression all the time. So I, I just thought the, the aliens were kind of goofy. So I didn't really I wasn't crazy about them. And he's he's always done well with come up with new aliens. Yeah. Well, it's been about two hours now, guys. Well, I think before we. What are you trying to say, Kirk? 
<laughs> just we're on target. <laughs> no, we are on target. Does anybody have anything else they want to bring up about this? Because I do want to change subjects a little bit to Elswine. Okay. I'm I'm good with I think we've covered everything. Yep. Okay, the uh, the thing I wanted to talk about is that Byrne had made a uh, comment uh, within the last couple days that what, he's going to introduce a new plot line that is going to be along the lines of the What If cover that we've I'm pretty sure we've all seen in What If Magneto had created the X-Men instead of Professor Xavier. Had you guys seen ever seen that that image? I'm sure mm-hmm. I have. I can't. You you would see Magneto standing there with Cyclops, who's wearing a much more elaborate head design, head outfit, and uh, Iceman is in a snow form, but he's carrying a snow spear. Everybody's got like weapons, and you can't tell if it's Beast or if it's Wolverine standing it's, there. It looks it's like Beast, beast with with uh, claws on his arms that uh, that that come out. And of course, uh, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch are in there. Uh, are also in there. And uh, this is something he'll be introducing. As but that wait a second, though. But then again, it is Burn, and we know he loves Wolverine, so he might. It might. <laughs> knowing that it's going towards that, he's probably going to be bringing that in as Wolverine. I would think. Don't know. All he says is what we appear, what yeah. will appear here, will have its roots in that what if. But it will not be imaginary, and it's finally going to allow him to do something that should explode a few heads, as he says. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this is something mm-hmm. that's that's really you know interesting, and it looks like it's going to allow Elswin to continue on and on because right now he's you know definitely four issues ahead of of where he is right now, and we're on what book fifteen, which will be finishing up this week. What was the last? What was the last uh, combined issue that was released before uh, they stopped releasing him or on Facebook? Uh, you mean uh, issue fourteen? I think was fourteen's last one. We're in, we're in fifteen now, I believe, aren't we, Brian? Yeah, we're we're in issue. 15 I think this is right issue now. fifteen we're working on right now. But fourteen's out, and the last thing we covered was thirteen, right? Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm not. I'm only reading them as they kind of get finished, so I'm not reading them day by day. So, mm-hmm. but Likewise. after, so 14 is out on Facebook, or has that been closed off? He's linking to uh, the pages to uh, John Burns uh, Burn Robotics. So, okay. uh, so I have to go. I have to go provide to... the link and, a, and an image, uh, you know, a, a, a thumbnail, a teaser from one of the panels, and say, hey, you know, and then we can go take a look at it at Burn Robotics. Yeah. Okay. But so, after we so, finish Dr. McCoy, we could probably go ahead and cover issue 14, um, you know, there. And, I, I mean, if you guys aren't aware, there there's uh, several people on that the Burn Victims group that have provided instructions on how to take these and put them together in bound volumes uh, so you can make, like, your own trade paperbacks. Yeah, I've and, seen some of those. They look nice. They look really nice, and it only costs, like, $20 per which is really good. I mean, you basically send your PDFs or whatever off to this Lulu site, and uh, you know they'll they'll put it together and send it back to you. I'm surprised they will. They you're not publishing it, but I'm surprised they will actually print it without. It's not. It's the not thing is, if you're doing a one-off, it's one thing. If you sit there and print with the intent to distribute, then they're probably going to give you trouble. 
which yeah. means you'd have to print more than say ten copies. But people are only asking for one copy for themselves. They're not, yeah. you know, sitting there saying, "Hey, print me a bunch." But that being said, once you know the the pandemic fuss is done with and people start going back to conventions, I will not be surprised if we see in the dealer's room people leaving copies of trade paperbacks of these things that they're wanting to sell for, you know, 40, 50 bucks. Yeah, I see uh, this exploding. Yeah, and that that will create a a true legal situation. Or buy buy a disc and have them all on there as a PDF. Yeah. Yeah, but you know there are people that cannot stand to read digital. They want to hold it in their hand and read it. Yeah, they want to put it on a bookshelf, and that's yeah. my preferred format too. And those are the true humans. Yes, exactly. Being Maybe next time when out I'm uploaded, to... <laughs> slowly well, dying as those dead cells build up. Yeah, that's hey, right. What a nice. Uh... <laughs> well, before we kind of wrap this up. Uh, we talked about earlier off air about doing some, you know, Halloween's coming up, October's coming up, and doing some more Halloween theme kind of or horror theme uh, books. For next week, do we want to cover Elswin 14 since it's out, and then we can get into uh, some Halloween stuff? Well, aren't we doing the next two issues of this? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. That's true. That's true. That's true. What do we want to do to save Elswin for after that, and we can do. Um, then maybe maybe by then 15's out we can do 14 and 15 as one show probably not a bad idea okay so part 2 of this will be issue 3 and 4 of, of McCoy so if you're listening to this uh, just give us a week or so we'll have the second one out and then we're going to get into some Halloween stuff because you know yeah and we're, we're, we're going to figure out who's doing what for all that uh, within the next uh, week so uh, hey and if someone has a suggestion for a Halloween Type yeah, they've got some Halloween. We've got some um, ideas, but yeah, um, yeah. Send, send them over to us because uh, uh, that'd be great. It yeah, hasn't done cool. a lot of really a lot of horror no. stuff, but um, I mean, obviously, there's the demon. Uh, we've already covered one issue of that. And there's the alien story we talked about, and there's a couple other things. So yeah, I'm, I'm all open for suggestions. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious for uh, those that have already read Frontier Doctor, you know, send us send us an email or post on, on the, the Facebook page what, what you think of Burns' take on Bones here. Yeah, I, I had thrown out earlier on the Star, Star Trek page trying to see what people had, you know, if they'd read this, what they thought of it. Nobody's really responded. If I hear something, we'll, uh, I'll post that next week. Uh, well, well, we'll talk about it next week. Uh, and, and the fact of the matter is we do not have any uh, email feedback from our uh, previous episodes uh, in in email, and we did get a couple five star reviews on Apple Podcasts, but no actual Yay. reviews. Yeah, so uh, that was really nice. It still helps people find the show. Yeah, and you know it's funny the things that that come across uh, in Facebook as conversations go up, especially on the there are at least four different burn related fan groups. Now, Burn Victims is the, by far, you know, the one that's got the most people in it, and it also seems to have the some of the most, uh, you know, active conversations. But, you know, there are there are, there are uh, several others out there. Was it John Byrne um, Fans Unite? Um, the Genius of John Byrne? And there's a couple others. 
But um, there was a discussion lately on uh, an issue of X-Men back in the, the Burn Austin days when, uh, uh, what's his name, Arcade was attacking and collecting right. all the X-Men. And yes. it was the scene where he gets Storm. And, of course, you have that moment where she basically is coming out of the shower and she's got the robe loosely on her. And everybody, you know, someone had re- had uh, reproduced a page from a trade paperback or a digital copy, and you could actually see her nipple right. in in that reproduction. And they're the like, how did, how did, yeah, how did this get past the, the the comic code authority and all that? And I had to sit there and pull out my actual copy and scan it to show them that it was blacked out. Completely mm-hmm. original, original printing. It's just you know, it's up to the inker to do that though. So Terry Austin was the one that that did that and made sure that the the line was blacked out completely. But if you look at the pencil pages, you can still see. And I'm, that. yeah, and I'm sure if he had, if Austin had not, if he went through the editor, they might have said, no, no, no. Someone would have caught it. <laughs> yeah, get your get your pen out and fix that. <laughs> yeah, where? Yeah, they didn't have sharpies back then, did they? Well, it's interesting because he's got that, you know, he's got that shot in the, uh, of course, it's the graphic novel, but the She-Hulk graphic novel when she's in jail and she gets blasted by a machine gun and you've got a close-up of her ripped up shirt and you can kind of see um, through her shirt a little bit. So, okay, and the great, hold, hold the on great, just one great American puritanism, right? Oh, of, one moment. I'm, what? Yeah, when, when I was looking at that, uh, the, the example that Brian was talking about, I didn't follow the whole discussion, but somebody was saying, see, you can see it on this one, but over here you can't. And I looked, and both scans were exactly the same. It's like, wait a minute, what was blacked out? I didn't see any alteration at all. So I, at first I thought it was just a joke. But uh, I, I, I remember the discussion, but I couldn't see the difference between one and another. You talking about the one I'm talking about? The, yeah. The shower yeah. scene. You know, it was again. You know, if you look at that thread, and I'm trying to remember which one that was in. If it was burn victims or if it was one of the probably. Other ones. I think um, it's burn victims. The first person, the first it, it image is just the scan of the full page, and then as you go down, someone else has scanned a specific spot and even circled yes. it with a yes. yellow circle, yes. so you can actually see it. But, I mean, you have to work really hard uh, on your computer, on your phone, to actually see what they're talking about. Uh, you know, and I doubt, you know, very many people actually even drooled at that. Um, <laughs> that being said, you know, I the, agree. Next, I, the next image... I didn't image, find it offensive. The next image is, of course, you know, Storm being what? shot by the dart. And, you know, you can obviously see the bumps on her uh, robe. To know, you know, what you're looking at there, and I think a lot of people were were just mistaking that as being what it was they're talking about. Uh, but I'd seen this image, and I'd heard people, you know, talking about that particular one, you know, before. So I was like, no, no, this is what they're talking about here, um, and made sure they knew, that, you know, that when it was originally printed, that it was not, um, you know, not not apparent. It was it was covered up. Okay. Uh, it looks like it was in the genius of John Byrne. No, no, that's people talking about my Sasquatch uh, thing. And, and I don't know if you guys saw it. I, I put up uh, on a couple of the groups a uh, a thing that I had a question about. Going back to the the first X Men Alpha Flight 
uh, battle in X Men's one twenty one twenty one, because uh, in you know in that one you had the scene where Sasquatch picked up the X Men's jet uh, that was actually owned by Jaron Hogarth and threw it into the hangar, effectively destroying it. But at the end of the next issue, you know, after Wolverine's been captured by you know the the Canadians and put him in that uh, that Wolverine proof van. And the X-Men are flying away in a plane. You can see the plane's got the letter H on it all over the place, so it's definitely a Hogarth plane. But I'm like, well, where did that plane come from? I mean, that's just like a few hours later, you know, and that plane was destroyed. Was it somehow magically fixed? And, no, I think uh, they could just brought in another. <clears throat> I yeah. saw that, but I think they could just, I mean, that's a big corporation. They could brought in another plane. <clears throat> yeah, well, that, and that's the only that's the only real explanation. In fact, of the the fact of the matter is they are definitely two different planes, because the first one's like a DC ten or something, and this one's something else. Um, I, again, I'm not a plane aficionado to sit there and look at it and, and say what what type of plane it is, but it wasn't ever explained in the story itself. And so, well, that's, uh, you know, that, that's that, I mean, that's yeah, they're not going to explain that. Um, I don't think. I just thought it was kind of like, wow, that was quick, you know, to, to get that plane and get them, you know, on their way. You figured they just would have chartered a plane on themselves and flown out of there, especially with the bad storm system that just broke up there, you know? That could have been the case. Maybe the artist just, you know, maybe he he uh, put the H on there by mistake, so <laughs> you don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know, and I wasn't going to ask him about that. I mean, that's 40 years ago. But uh, I, th I just thought it was an interesting little thing to point out and make people go, hmm, because I couldn't find any discussion of that particular point anywhere. So I thought it was something uh, interesting. Sadly, David had to drop, but uh, I guess we uh, are at a point where we can... Uh, yeah, let's wrap this up. I think we've... Yeah, uh... wrap this up. Like I said, we need your feedback, uh, whether you want to give it to us on Facebook... Uh, you can go to our Facebook group, Third Degree Burn, or you can email us at uh, gottagetburned at gmail.com. Uh, or you can uh, put a, a review for us on Apple Podcasts. And every good five-star review brings attention to our podcast. We get more listeners if, uh, if, you, if you do that. And if you write something, uh, that'd be really, really great. We'd like to know what you're thinking. You can write a review there that will be kept there for a couple years. So uh, if you got something funny, cute, witty to say, do it. Anybody yeah, got anything else they want to say? No, I think we've uh, we did a pretty good job covering this, and I look forward to to issue three and four. See what because I haven't read those yet, because I'm interested to see how how those are going to go. So same here. All right, Andrew, would you like to tell us about next week? Oh wait, we don't have Andrew here. <laughs> 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 Who wants to do that? <laughs> I know we've already covered it, but I thought that would be funny. Well, who wants to take us out? Uh, I'll take us out. All right, I want to thank everybody for downloading uh, for part one, and I hope you come back for part two as we discuss issue three and four of the Litter McCoy Frontier Doctor. Uh, for Third Degree Burn, I am Tim Elliott. I'm Brian Hughes. John Hyatt. I'm Greenfield. We'll get this right one day. We'll get this right one day. <laughs> <laughs> and on behalf of David, we all say goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. 
You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t-b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing till next time this has been third degree burn some men aren't looking for anything logical like money they can't be bought bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn